Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, a warm welcome to you as we begin this season of Lent. And one of the essential elements of Lent is not only fasting and prayer, but confession. And so as we begin this season, I thought I would uh, open this sermon up uh, with a very serious confession. Uh, I want all of you to know that I flunked algebra four times, uh, twice in high school and twice in college. And to make matters even worse, my father was a math teacher. So anyway, like the gene completely skipped over me. Today I'm still in intro to numbers. But anyway, um, uh, I tell you this story because as a result, I am an expert at the Cartesian plane and applying the Cartesian plane to all sorts of life. You know the XY graph? I'm an expert at that, especially when it comes to applying it to theology. You see, my problem with the Cartesian plane was that my answers at the beginning were always typically just like a fraction off, a decimal point off. No big deal, right? But as we began to move down the, uh, the, uh, X, the X line and up the Y axis, and we moved from fractions to whole numbers, and those whole numbers went from tens to hundreds to thousands, what always happened was is my graph, instead of looking like the tight U that it was supposed to, always took the shape of a very wide V. Now, when you think about it, just think about your own life for about two seconds. The Cartesian plane can apply to all sorts of areas. Sometimes the littlest things can have the biggest impacts. You know, that little pebble that's just thrown into the still pond and it ripples out. But even more existentially, you know, just think about maybe that word your parents said to you that had a huge impact. That word your spouse said to you that had a huge impact. It was just a fraction off. And everyone told you, hey, man, just get over it. You know, that's the worst advice. Just get over it. You know, what do you mean? Now here I am, 47 years old. Here you are, 12 years into a marriage, and that word, that fraction off, still has a massive effect on you. It affects your ability to connect. This is my first point. What I'm talking about here, this fraction off in our life, it's called sin. And the word sin in Greek is harmatia. It literally means a fraction off. Missed the mark. You know, if you go to the Greek tragedies, Armatia, sin, it's that tiny little misstep that sets into motion a chain of events that always ends in tragedy. And the same is true in the book of Genesis. I love the old saying, the devil is in the details. And I have learned this as a New York City priest because if you've ever dealt with New York City real estate, you begin to realize the devil is in the details. I thought that was screamingly funny, but anyway, I guess I'm the only one, you know. Uh, but, uh, <clears throat> but our text, it takes place at the end of chapter 2, where God commands Adam and Eve. And take a close look at what God says. God says, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
For the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now notice, the devil, how he works. He kind of slithers in and says, well, he slithers in and he doesn't say, hey, Adam and Eve, God doesn't exist. You know? He doesn't slither in and say, man, all those rules God's dropped on you, they're awful. In the words of my kids, God's so mid, you know? It's not what he does. No, the devil, he slithers into the garden, and with an issue of fractions on the Cartesian plane, he begins with the smallest of the pebbles gathered upon the still morning pond. And he whispers into their ear, Did God really say... You shall not eat from any tree in the garden. Notice the shift. I mean, Eve's response, it was like, well, snake, if we couldn't eat anything in the garden, we'd starve. But there's a shift. And the correct and only actually answer to this question is no. And as a type, Adam and Eve, the one who is to come, the answer should have been like Jesus, away with you, Satan. However, Eve begins a dialogue with the devil. And it's a dangerous thing to dialogue with the devil. She says, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. Eve's misstep was adding to God's word. You know, we love to take away and add things to God's word to fit our fancy. And it just seems so innocent, but it's just this fraction off, a tiny pebble of doubt that God's word is totally sufficient for you as it is, which marks the beginning of the skewed V graph that has defined humanity ever since. Did God really say? We love to add and take away to fit our fancy. You won't die, the devil says. Come on now, I'm telling you. Dialoguing with the devil is dangerous business. You will not die, for God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Have you noticed how super, uh, uh, like super spirituality, it's creeped into Christianity as well, is all about becoming supernatural? You know, you'll be independent. You will be like God. Not just natural. Not just dependent. Not just creatures. That's so passe. It's so mid, you know? Then the scene, and this is what makes it, I mean, profound. The scene moves from a conversation to something more existential. An internal dialogue. And Eve begins to rationalize. We've all done it, haven't we? We knew something was off, but we rationalized it. We can rationalize almost any action. Notice. She goes, well, you know, the, the tree is good for food. You know, the tree, it's a delight to the eyes. Gosh, I didn't think about it, but it can make one wise. This isn't that bad. Well, in fact, I need this. I deserve this. You know, people just don't understand me. Did God 
really say? Did he really say? And what happens next, I mean, you know, you think the way our lectionary just ends, you know, they started a new fashion trend, but that's not true. What happens next is that Eve takes a bite, Adam takes a bite, and then God works through, walks through the cool of the day in the garden, and Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames, blames the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> I'll always work a dad joke in, but anyway, but <laughs> especially something this serious. But it's true. The very fabric of our relationship with God was torn in two. Torn in two. As St. Paul writes, and you really want to understand what Christianity is about. Read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Read Romans chapter 5. And then come read Matthew's Gospel, our reading here. Romans 4. You get the whole picture and what it's all about. Because everything was torn in two at that moment. As St. Paul writes, sin came into the world through one man. And death came through sin. And so death spread to all. Because all have been just a fraction off. All have sinned. This is my second point. This story, while a bit fanciful is so terribly profound and so terribly true. Sin never begins with something big and profound. Rather, sin is that fraction off, the pebble in the pond. In fact, sin, uh, your actions are the fruit of sin. You know, what you do, is it's already too late. Sin is rooted in belief and unbelief. Did God really say? And every human has asked this question and has failed ever since. Except for one. Our gospel reading opens immediately after Jesus' baptism. And you remember what happened as his baptism. The heavens opened up, a dove descended upon Christ, and God the Father announced, This is my well-beloved son. With him I am well pleased. A reference to Israel from the book of Exodus and a reference to Isaiah's suffering servant. This is my well-beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew then tells us that Jesus is led by the Spirit. That's interesting. Not just chance. He's led by the Spirit. In fact, the Greek word led is the same word used in the Greek Septuagint when Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden. So he's actually driven by the Spirit as the new Adam into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's one of Matthew's points if you've been tuning into the rector's Bible study. Is that Jesus is the absolute new everything. He's the new Adam. He's the new Moses. The new temple. The new everything because he hears his father's word and he believes. So here you have Jesus in the wilderness, up out of the water as the new Israel, reduced to one. Out of the stump of Jesse shall come a shoot. And just as Israel went from baptismal sea to the wilderness of Sinai, Jesus goes from baptismal water to the wilderness 
as God's new Israel. He does the whole 40. He's hungry and he's vulnerable. And in this moment, the devil sees an opportunity and tempts Jesus with three temptations, three all-encompassing temptations that affect every human being and we all fail. The first temptation is appetite. If you are the Son of God, feed yourself, Jesus. Command these stones to turn into bread. The second is status, identity. Well, that's a big question today, isn't it? If you are the Son of God, if you are, throw yourself down. And then the devil quotes scripture. For it is written, devil's in the details, for it is written, he will send his angels concerning you. Or in other words, prove it. And who hasn't said that to God? God, if you're really out there, prove it. Demonstrate to me that God actually works. The third temptation is worship. And the devil had every authority, the prince of the world. That moment, he had every authority to offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world. All these kingdoms I will give you if you just fall down and would worship me. And aren't we tempted all the time, the anxiety and all the pressures of life, to worship other things? May not be a little idol on your mantle, but maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a relationship. Might be something. However, read closely. Because the devil is in the details. The devil begins every temptation with the conjunction, if. If you are the Son of God. Or in other words, did God really say? What do you mean? God just declared me the Son of God, his beloved Son, in the previous chapter. Away from you, Satan. Now, where we are tempted with hunger by appetite, and this is so much more than just hunger, this is all of our appetites. All of our appetites. Where we hunger and just feed ourselves because of the lack of bread or by the overconsumption of bread, whatever it may be, Jesus conquers. He refuses to use his power for secret, self-serving miracles. As a matter of fact, that's the point of the miracles, is to confirm our faith that he is the Messiah, not some power trip over the laws of creation. Where we are tempted to test God and his word, Jesus resisted. He would not put the Lord to the test. For Jesus knew he came to be lifted up, not on some temple in Jerusalem, but on the cross outside of Jerusalem. And there wasn't even an angel or a single person who lifted a finger to save him. But his death is his victory. And his victory is our life and salvation. Finally, unlike the rulers of this world, who take kingdoms and nations by force. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord's and of his Christ already. Not by bargaining 
with the prince of this world, much less worshiping him, but by taking humanity's sin to his death. Through one man, justification came to the many. What we are being taught here, what we are being taught here in this passage, is not that Jesus has modeled for you now three new disciplines for you to take on the devil and improve your life. That's not what this is about. Because if you remember the curse, and we were reminded of that on Ash Wednesday, remember that you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. And the curse of the serpent is on your belly, you shall crawl, and dust you shall eat. So in other words, and I can't believe people preach this, you know, take on the devil, give me a break. Before the devil, you are his lunch on your own. You are his lunch. What is being taught here, and if you read closely the book of Genesis, from that moment on, they're looking constantly for a seed. They're looking constantly for the offspring. Maybe Seth is it. Maybe Noah is it. Maybe Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, uh, you know, and then there's 12, and then they're wind up in Egypt. They're always looking. Is this the one? What is being taught here is that what the entire Bible is looking for, what you and I desperately need, I mean, it's not a purpose. Come on, you may think about what's my purpose when you're standing there on the platform of the six or the L train and it's delayed and you're like, what am I doing here? You know, that's not. But what keeps you up at night, what keeps you up at night is that moment when you begin to think, maybe in the shower at 6.30 in the morning, I should have made the left turn in Albuquerque. Maybe I should have done things differently. If only I would have done that, if only I would have said that, then maybe things would have been better. What you and I are looking for, what this passage is teaching, is that you and I now have not three new steps to try harder, but a substitute. You and I now have a champion who has defeated and conquered temptation for you, who has believed God perfectly and still loves you and forgives you despite your unbelief and your failure time and time again to resist it. As St. Paul writes in our epistle reading, for just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinner, so by the one man's obedience many, you and I, have been made righteous. Every sin atoned for, every sin redeemed, Adam's sin is answered by Jesus' righteousness once and for all. And this is my third point. You have, you probably are, and you will be tempted. You have, you are, maybe are, probably are, and you will have seasons in the wilderness where you will feel hungry, you will feel vulnerable, and you will feel alone. The Greek word wilderness is not just a camping word, trip, it's a spiritual place of desolation. However, the good news of the gospel is 
no matter what you feel, you do not go on this journey alone. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, has gone before you. The Son of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, goes with you. And most importantly, the Son of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, is always for you. And he has conquered. And in him, oftentimes despite all evidence to the contrary, you will conquer too. You're no match for the devil. Heck, if you're like me, you're hardly a match for yourself most of the time. Just ask me how my Lenten disciplines are going, you know? I mean, <clears throat> nevertheless, remember who you are. And more importantly, remember whose you are. You are a baptized Christian. You are a child of God in the Son of God. And your life is now in Christ's. So when the next time you hear that voice, did God really say that you're a child of the living God? With great confidence, you can say yes. Yes, he did. And it is real because I have been baptized. I have received the body and blood. It is real because the Holy Spirit lives in me and my Jesus has died for me and he's working out all things for the good because I have been called according to his purpose. And as sections of your XY graph by grace begin to be covered by the blood and rectified and reconciled with God, what might begin to happen is you might begin to find the peace, the love, and the courage to do what I never would do in algebra until the fifth time. But I have personally begun to do because of a lot of therapy, is go back and begin to work on those places where I was a fraction off. Go back and begin to heal and forgive the places where I am infinitely off coordinates. Did God really say, enjoy your forgiveness? Yes. Yes, he did. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.